friends, and welcome to Coffee with Kathy. This is the last of our series for the summer, and we'll be taking a break and coming back in the fall, but today I'm going to actually be interviewed by Derek Byers, our Minister of Music here at Park Avenue Church. And I'll be drinking from this beautiful cup, which a friend gave to me some time ago. And on the inside, it says, friends, fill your life with joy. And I couldn't say it better. And so I'm grateful today for dear friends. And Derek is one of my friends most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Derek, for doing this today and for all of your friendship and partnership all the time. Oh, no. And, and thank you. Um, this will be this will be fun. And it'll be, you know, it'll be interesting. It'll be a fun little interview. Uh, the cup I have today is, uh, it's my London cup. I think it's from Starbucks, but it's a London cup. has a little um, outline of the London skyline with black. Um, and so it's one of my uh, favorite cups that we have. Um, but with that said, shall we get started and, and yes. talk about it? Get started. All right. First, I want to ask you, how are you doing? How are you feeling right now? Uh, well, in this moment, I'm feeling the best I felt in 2020. Uh, my oldest son and his wife and family and my grandkids came up on Thursday for the weekend. And it was just wonderful to see them. And they just texted me that they're back home. It's uh, Monday afternoon at five o'clock, even though we're drinking coffee. But, uh, but it was really wonderful to see them and to be together. We had not seen each other since Christmas. And for us, this was the longest span that I've not seen my children uh, since I moved to New York 17 years ago. And my son was like, I need to see my family. We're coming. And I was like, come on. So in this moment, um, I'm feeling really good after a lot of really hard weeks, right? A lot of really hard weeks uh, since March 8th, dealing with COVID-19 pandemic and then uh, the other uh, pandemics that have uh, faced our country and our world. So I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for uh, some love and grateful to see them and encourage them as they've encouraged me. So. Yes, yes. It's, family can be wonderful. I remember you were very excited because you got to bake a cake and I you're all excited. Two cakes. Two oh, cakes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been busy. Two homemade cakes. <laughs> I'm sure they were wonderful. Yeah. Um, I want to go back and talk a little bit about your life and what you've experienced um, throughout your life. Uh, we were talking a little bit before this start, started about uh, when you started school, schools were segregated. And then I believe it was said around 13 is uh, when you went to your first integrated school. Um, and what was that experience like? And what do you remember about that? Well, um, first of all, I, I was raised in a small town in North Carolina, and I was surrounded by, of course, my parents and five siblings, but also my grandmother and aunts and uncles and cousins. And so really, it was really this sort of village, right, where uh, people really looked out for each other. And from first grade, we didn't even go to kindergarten, to seventh grade, it was a segregated school. And looking back at those teachers and uh, the principals and all of the staff at school, it was a sense that everybody was invested in the children, right? It was really a community thing. My, my great aunt was one of the teachers, my third grade teacher. And, you know, we had Glee Club and we had uh, all kinds of extracurricular activities. 4-H club is when I learned to public speak. Uh, and so it was this really kind of warm and nurturing experience. And that's what I was born into. Um, and then at eighth grade, we integrated. And so it was a whole other experience because even though there were uh, white people that lived in our community, we, I wasn't as conscious of racism uh, as a child in those early years because they were just neighbors, right? And, and neighbors, if there was a tragedy or somebody died or whatever, people stopped by or we stopped by, they brought something. And uh, so I, 
that's all I knew. And then when we went to eighth grade, then there was this whole other um, experience of adjustments. And so there were, there were adjustments from the black children, but there was also adjustment from the white children and teachers as well. And so there was that sense of not having that same kind of support, support system of the unknown and why did certain things happen and why did some children all of a sudden start getting in trouble, mm. right? Because these were kids that I'd known or why they were put in a certain group, right? There were the smart kids, smart kids. Of course, I was in the smart kid group. Uh, but there was also this sort of, you know, children that had some kind of challenge were sort of put in another group, another category. And I first became very conscious of that around eighth grade. Yeah, it's it must have been interesting going from um, this this feeling of being around family, especially being you know because you said like you said your great aunt was one of the teachers, and it's you know even um, though none of the schools I went to were segregated, I know this. My a lot of people in my family were teachers, and so there's definitely it, there's definitely this warming feeling that comes being taught by your by your family members and taught from those that you know uh, have your best interests at heart. Um, and I feel like generally speaking, especially when you're in a group of black people, that's for me too, where I've felt most like, okay, this group of people has my best interest as hard as black people because we kind of learn to band together and learn to stick together. Uh, and I learned a lot of that from my parents. Um, what um, have you learned from your parents and the struggles they went through and, uh, and the faith that they had? Well, oh my God, it, it's just, and I talked a little bit about this in my sermon last Sunday, but it was, uh, th there was this expectation, right? That we were going to go to college, that we were going to succeed, that we were going to make something of our lives. And, you know, it, it's, it's still fascinating to me how my parents thought that that could be possible because they didn't have it. They didn't have the money to send us, right? But it was also the teachers at that school, like, you know, the people in the community, the people that you went to Sunday school and church with. Um, I was the first person in my family to go away to college, even though I had three older siblings. But because my parents emphasized education so much, mm -hmm. right, that was the way to freedom. Uh, Bell Hooks talks about that in one of her books, that education is the key. So from, I don't know, I guess from first grade, I knew I was going to college. I didn't know what I was going to major in. They didn't care, doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, but you were going to college. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. And so, and then, and I think that's why my older siblings uh, went back years later, because that was so drummed into us. You're going to go to college. You've got to get your education. And uh, so it was this whole kind of, of, of communal expectation that these girls were going to, you know, go out into the world and make something of their lives. And so I, I'm just grateful for that. And I think it's so important uh, for parents as children are growing to have great hopes great hopes for their children. And my parents, as I said, they really didn't care what we did, but they wanted us to be the best that we could be. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so I'm always grateful for that. I'm always grateful for they taught us how to work hard. There was no expectation that we were going to get in this world if we didn't work. Mm. So that's what I do, you know, like, <laughs> and, you know, I graduated college in three years. Oh. And, you know, because I had to get on with it, right? And then when I, when later when I went back and I, I, to get my Masters of Divinity from Duke, I was working full time at the business school because by then I was a divorced parent of two. But that's what you did. You worked for what you wanted in life and you, you, you trusted and you had faith and you believed that somehow by God's good grace, despite racism, despite sexism, despite all the obstacles that were in your way, you can make it. So I just grew up thinking 
somehow I could do whatever, you know? And I, and I owe my parents for that because, you know, I, they just believe in their children. And as I said in the sermon last week, we were their why. We were the reason they pushed and they worked and they toiled and they never gave up. And the fact that they stayed married for 61 years, oh my goodness. Can you imagine 61 years with the same person? <laughs> but they did, and, and, and so they modeled for us um, that level of deep commitment and, and what was important in life, so. Well, and, and you know, I think it's it's evident that that has paid off. You, you know, you're now on the Upper East Side in New York City, past leading a church on the Upper East Side, uh, and you're the, I love saying this, the Reverend Dr. Kathy S. Gilliard. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, 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 it's true that, that that hard work pays off. You, you know, know I'll is, be honest. When I, I really didn't care about being the Reverend Doctor. Hmm. But I knew for some people in some circles, it would matter. Mm-hmm. For Kathy, I, you know, hey, give me a break. Most of the time I don't even use it, right? But it is important and I did work hard. But yeah, it was just always my parents, that message ringing in my ear. It's, you're gonna need more, you're gonna need more. And so go for it, regardless of how difficult it is, go for it because nobody can say you're not qualified for the job. They can say, we don't want you because you're a woman. We don't want you because you're a person of color, but they cannot tell you honestly that you haven't paid your dues and you're not qualified. Hmm. And so that was the next step. So I did. <laughs> yes, and you've, you've, you've built, built a wonderful career. Um, an, another thing that you mentioned earlier, you are a mother. What has being a black mother in America taught you? And what does is, what is being a Black mother in America mean to you? Well, it means everything to me, as I've, as I've said, and it is the highest achievement in my life. Uh, I'm a divorced mother, uh, and, uh, but my children are, are my life, my family. Uh, and again, I, I'm sure I learned that from my parents and watching them. Uh, I'm a mother of two sons. And so that was, um, you know, that was hard. Uh, And that's been a source of great anxiety. And I think statistically, when I think about it, uh, we've already beaten the odds because as divorced, as children of divorced parents, the likelihood um, that they would be alive and well and have families of their own, both of them, and having a a decent life, a good life, you know, the odds were against them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But but here they are, and here we are, and we're extremely close, and I'm not ashamed to say they're mama's boys, okay? (laughs) I love their wives, I love them to death. (laughs) Uh, And because I love my sons, I love their wives, and I'm happy to do that, but, yeah, it's been hard. It's been hard and a lot of worry. And even to this day, and I think um, until I'm in my grave, I'll always carry a certain amount of anxiety about them and where they are and what's happening to them. Um, they've certainly shared many stories with me about their experiences as Black men. Um, and some I'm sure they don't tell me, and I'm okay with that too. It's, it's, it's a hard time to be a, a black man in America when you see everything that's happening in the world. And, um, you know, people have been out in the streets chanting, you know, no justice, no peace, no justice, no peace. Uh, and you said a beautiful thing uh, yesterday, uh, I think this is after the service, about, you know, the, the, the it was, maybe you can, you can remember exactly what it was, but you were talking about how the Prince of Peace um, comes and that's related to justice and um, what what has what have you seen in these protests because they've been going down Madison Avenue and down all these streets and, and going outside 
what have you seen in these protests that might not have been there the last time this happened or the last couple times this happened? Because I, I personally feel like this, this feels different or slightly different. Or, you know, but I, I haven't been through all of this and, you know, or does it feel different? It feels different and it feels wonderful because one, there's so many young people, right? They're, 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 they're teenagers and 20-somethings. And there are also parents with children. There was a, a, a group that marched um, on 87th and Madison on Saturday, and I was really amazed by one, how diverse it was, which was wonderful, but also the number of children and young families and men. And so uh, I'm grateful for this movement that involves so many people, right? So many people, people of all colors and races and um, you know, ages. And because I think it's just time now for something else and it cannot be the Black people's movement. Although I don't think it ever was, I think it's, it's about um, people's conscience. What do you morally believe about systemic racism, about oppression, about police brutality, knowing that there are many wonderful policemen, uh, but there are also police that are brutal mm. and harmful and kill people and hurt people and the justice system hasn't been just. And, you know, I think it's an opportunity for anybody who says, thinks that that's wrong to express themselves, whether it's a march, and I think many people are doing many different things, but I'm grateful. I'm also grateful that for the first time in my life, there are these conversations about race. It's almost always the elephant in the room for black people and brown people, I think, it certainly is for me, almost always. I'm always aware if I walk into a restaurant, if I walk into a board meeting, in an instant, I am aware of my presence in that room. And depending on who else is in that room, I start adjusting myself accordingly. Mm. And I don't assume that those people are going to be friends or friendly to me. If anything, I assume that I'm going to have to gird myself. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. That I'm going to have to prepare myself somehow. Um, and so now this elephant that's always present has a stage that we can talk about it. And I think that's wonderful and that's powerful and I'm grateful for it. It's time. It's time. It, it is, is a time. Um, do you think there will ever be, you know, justice and peace? Do you think we'll ever reach that day? Well, when I think about justice, and I've been thinking about it, because, you know, we think about, well, is, how do we go back and right the wrongs? I'm not sure that that will happen. I don't, I, it actually it scares me, because I think what our country and our world needs from a theological perspective is probably more grace mm -hmm. and forgiveness and mercy, right? Um, because I don't know what justice looks like mm -hmm. in the past. What gives me hope is that it might happen. It, it is possible now mm -hmm. and it is possible for the future. And that's, that's my concern, right? I, I want a world that's more just, that's more fair. Um, I believe it is possible because the Prince of Peace says it is, right? At the end of the day, I'm a preacher of the gospel and I believe that God's kingdom can come. You know, it's, you know, gosh, it's been what, almost 17 years now, um, that I've been in New York, and you know the story of how uh, I was invited by Steve Bauman at Christ Church to come and join the staff. And, you know, what kept ringing in my ear was that, quote, 
that Martin Luther King said about, um, and I'm not quoting it exactly, but about 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour hmm. in the week. And, you know, I wasn't looking, but here was this opportunity at my feet. And so it made me think about it differently. What do I fundamentally believe about God hmm. and the body, right? And how is it that we can all sing Amazing Grace, right? Or I Surrender All, or whatever. How can we say the same Lord's Prayer? And we can't be together. We can't say it together as community. Um, so it, I think it's possible, but it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be uh, cheap, but I'm going to do everything I can as long as there's breath in my body and I'm in my right mind to work toward that end. Yes, and, and you, you, are, you are already doing, doing a lot to help with that. And I think about that King quote, and then I look at you know, our community at, at PAUMC and it's, it's the, you know, I've been in working in churches since I was seven years old. And so, and I've been in the church since I was, you know, barely breathing. And so it's, it's, it is the most diverse community that I have ever been a part of. And I, you know, I call them my PAUMC family for a reason. Uh, and it, cause it really, it really does feel like a family and it feels like a community. And I truly believe that comes down you know from the top and that stems down from you um but bef before you got to the church what if what did you learn along your way uh about the church working in multiracial settings well I, I i learned that it was possible you know i grew up in the black church and uh that's where i learned about uh liberation theology that's where i learned the God of all people. And so regardless of what the world was saying about me or people who look like me, um, there was a God right, who loved me and who loved us. And so those foundational years were incredible. It was where, you know, we learned those, you know, I watch our kids now in those Christmas pageants. And I think, yeah, you know, those seeds that are planted in them they're going to up and bear fruit. You know, they, the kids may not even know what they're saying, but it's okay. You're saying it anyway, right? And those songs that they sing. Um, and so I, I, my, my understanding of, of one church, one body has been affirmed as I continue to, to work in a multicultural church. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to work at our church. I'm grateful for the growth. I mean, just look at our staff, um, not only ethnically and racially diverse, but age mm -hmm. diversity, you know, we're all over the place. And um, so I think, I think we're just too segregated in our culture. This, this them or us, right? You know, it's, it's, and, it's just too much of it. And what would it look like to just learn from each other, right? We have, we have things to offer each other, all of us. And if we do that, we can all be better. Yes, yes, I, I agree. And I, and I look at, you know, I look at these, these companies that, you know, they have a few diversity hires, the few people they hire for their diversity. Um, and, but then I look at our church and I compare them and, a lot of the times you, you, you find these problems in these companies, you find things that you're like, oh, that if there had been a person of color that had had a voice, that wouldn't have happened. If you had something like this, if you know, there's so many instances like that. And I look at our church and how warm it is in the product we create. And I, it, it really is, I feel like, born out of diversity. It's born, and, and not just diversity of, of race, like you said earlier, but also diversity of age. I think that is very important. Um, and because if you look at our staff, you know, we... It, it's it's the most it's the most diverse staff that I have ever been a part of as well, and and we get along. I know. Who would have thought? 
and, and we we all have things to talk about and, and and things to learn from each other and you know it's it's really taught me uh that it's really taught me how I want to run a business when I run things. And it's really shown me, you know, I was thinking the other day, most of my favorite times in the church um, have been led by black women pastors. And I mean, I think, I mean, I think that says a lot um, because, you know, being number one, being a woman, you know, is, is difficult itself and being a mother and going through that is difficult, but then also being a black woman on top of that, you know, it, it's, it's like a diamond. It puts all this pressure on you and it, it forces you to become, it forces you to have this depth and learn and view the world completely differently. And I think that is, is what America needs. It needs black people and black women and women in general running, the, running this country. You know, maybe, maybe the fact that a woman would take emotions into consideration when looking to blow up a country, maybe that's something we should do. Maybe that's something that is a value. Uh, and as you know, the community you've built in at PAUMC, I, I really feel like we can wear our color as a badge of honor versus a demerit. And we can wear our diversity and we can wear our differences as badges of honor. Um, but what would, how would you define diversity? What would you say is diversity? Well, thank you for, for those kind words. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, I've been that girl on the, the diversity brochure, right? I've been that one that was there for the photo op. So people can say, oh, look at us, we're diverse, right? And I do think that um, diversity is much more than having different people in the room or in the the meeting, right? Diversity, authentic diversity, in my opinion, is when we have people in leadership, right? It's when uh, there are black and brown people, uh, there are women in leadership, chairing committees, um, not just in the room without a voice. They're, they're, it's, it's when people have space in that room and they're taken seriously, right? And I think there was this push some years ago to hire, you know, people of color or a person or two, right? Or a female or whatever. Uh, but we've, we've got to do better than that, right? We cannot pat ourselves on the back because there are people of another color or gender or even sexual orientation in the room. If those people have no voice, Right? If they're still, you know, making the coffee or, you know, silent, seen but not heard, that's not diversity. But diversity is when we are listening and sharing and people feel safe and whole and welcome. And we all bring gifts. We bring different gifts, right? We bring different experiences. But when we put them all together, we have something, and it's what I consistently preach about, right? It's what I, what I say um, all the time, because I believe it's true. I believe it's true. I just read an article uh, the other week. I think it was in Good Housekeeping or something. It was talking about, um, you know, people having friends their age, but also people having friends who are older, people having friends who are younger, right? They're, there's no bad stage of life. And how do we gracefully go into the next stage? And how do we honor uh, and, and appreciate the wisdom of those who've gone before? And how do those of us who've gone before lighten up a little bit and say, thank God for these young people. And I now have a responsibility to help shape and nurture them for what's coming next, right? So. Uh, I think we might need to find another catch word besides diversity if it's not authentic. And that's what I, I want to push for. What is, what is true? And not just having people to have people, right? Not just having, you know, uh, a black person or that token person, right? But how do we make it true and real for them and for the organization? 
Yes, yes, I agree. And, and uh, you know, I, I have often been that token person, you, you have as well. What has being in that situation taught you about um, how you want to run organizations? And what has it taught you uh, in terms of, you know, what not to do almost in some ways, really? Well, I think it's taught me to try to do exactly what I'm doing. It's taught me to be sitting here with coffee with Kathy because it was Derek Byers' idea. And <laughs> here I am. <laughs> no, seriously, like I, I wanna value the people that are around me. I wanna value their input and their ideas and I want them to be free to make them. And you know, we spend a lot of time in our staff meeting brainstorming and there are no bad ideas. We end up laughing about things uh, that don't really work, but everybody's free to put them out there. And I hope that's true for our, our congregation as well, right? You know, everybody has an idea and opinion. We often may not have the capacity to do everything that someone wants, but you know, let's put it out there. It's made me want to be more open what people have to say and not shut everything down just because or that, that some people have the better idea or it should be their way at the expense of other people who never get to even say anything um let alone have their idea valued. yeah what would you say is your hope for our paumc community uh and even the conference the united methodist church conference moving forward well, I love our church. Uh, I really do. And it's been a great gift to me to be able to uh, serve this congregation and to express my leadership and my passion in this community. I, you know, I've, I've, I'll start my 10th year on July 1st. And gosh, I've watched us grow in numbers, but also in things that we as a community think we should do. I've seen miracles happen, you know, just when I thought we weren't going to make it, we made it. Um, I think we can do anything that we set our hearts and minds to do. And as you said, Derek, you know, I feel like our church is far more diverse than most churches, even in New York. And so just the embodiment of who we are, right, just we look like the body of Christ, right? And I think we can and we will continue to be who we are, um, be who God would have us to be. I think that is welcoming for people who visit us. Mm -hmm. I think we're, you know, oftentimes people are surprised. You know, they have this perception of what they think Upper East Side Church is gonna be like. And then they come and they see me and then they see you and they hear you, right? And they look around and they're, you know, they're, there's Joseph and Brandon sitting together, right? And they're laughing and they're, they're in love or they're, you know, there's all of this. They're young families. Uh, so it's, it's this, this community that I think is, is special uh, because everyone is welcome. Um, because, you know, we don't, we're not homogenous. Mm -hmm. right? We don't all look the same. We don't all have to think the same way. We don't all have to vote the same way, right? But somehow by God's good grace, we, we do church and we do God, right? And it's not just spoken in my mind, but it's also, you know, embodied. And I think that's what people are looking for. Um, as it relates to the conference, I think, you know, there's a lot of uh, things that have to happen. Our bishop has asked me to serve on a racism task force, which I'm happy to do and have some voice there. But you know, there's, there's gotta be some acknowledgement of the truth. Racism abounds in our conference as it does in our world, right? And you know, I long for the time where the church capital C, the body of Christ, will be setting the tone for culture mm -hmm. instead of the culture setting the tone for the church and everything else. It may not happen in my lifetime, 
but uh, there's work to do. I think our bishop is, uh, has a heart for wanting to do the work. And it's gonna be slow. It's gonna be slow. But I think every step towards loving, loving God and loving one another and healing and reconciliation, these are not just catchphrases in the church, right? We have to start and we have to be intentional and it's going to be exhausting, but we cannot quit. And I think in a way, you know, gosh, it's like COVID-19 happened. We're not worshiping in our sanctuaries. You know, we're already um, displaced. Mm -hmm. And now um, this, this reality, this focus on systemic racism it's a great hour for the church. And I think if we're not authentic, if we don't rise to this occasion, where will we be in another 20 years? Because if the young people are the ones who are marching, they're going to be the ones who are voting. They're going to be the ones who are saying enough is enough. If the church body of Christ is not relatable, if we're inconsistent, with what they think is important. Yeah. They're not gonna buy it. They will, you know, I'm not talking just about our church, but I'm talking about the church. Yes. They're not gonna be hypocrites. They're not gonna march the streets and protest and do all of those things and fight for policy changes and vote and fight for representation and then come to the church that's inconsistent with what they believe. So there's work to do. There's work to do. Yes, I, I, I agree. There's a lot of work to do. And I think, I think everybody on all sides has work to do. Is the work equal? No. But I think, you know, everybody has a lot of work to do. And I think we can begin that work by replacing, by stopping this like chain and circle of hate that's been going on and replacing the hate with love. It's harder to do that. It's much harder to love somebody. It's much harder to listen with love. You know, it's much harder to go, you know, maybe I should just put my dog on a leash and just walk away. That's harder to do. And I, I acknowledge that. But I think if we start doing that, um, you know, people ask, what would Jesus do? That's what Jesus would do. He would choose love always, at least in my opinion. I think we also have to be more conscious, you know, most people would say they don't hate. Mm -hmm. Most people, as a matter of fact, I think most Christians would say they love. They love everybody. Right? And yet there's this huge disconnect. And I think the next step is saying, what does that look like? What does it look like when people are mistreated? What does it look like? And what is my involvement? How should I what should I do? And re recognize that that question of what and why should always be at the forefront, right? And, and what does that look like? You see, um, when we hear about these tragedies, um, we feel bad. But I, I think, you know, and I've said this, um, what, what's been crystallized for me is that there's this big gap mm. between how black and brown people experience life and how white people, I'm generalizing now, of course, experience life in this country. And I think part of it is just thinking about it, thinking about it um, and, and seeing it for what it is. And, and then seeing what can I do? What, what can I do? What should I do? How should I fight for policy? You know, we don't like to look at harmful things on TV, yeah. right? It, it's too gory. We have enough problems. But that's somebody's child, right? That's somebody's husband or father or, or daughter, right? You know, Jesus focused on the marginalized. He, he taught us about helping those who were most disadvantaged. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, 
as educated people, right, I'm very clear that I, I have some advantages, even in this brown skin. But part of the gospel, well, the essence of the gospel is to love those who others would deem unlovable. And then we must ask, what does that look like in 2020 and 2021? That's the question for the church. Who are they? Right? And there's so many ways. There's not just one way. And we can do it collectively as a body, but we also must do it every day. Every day. We must be thinking about it. What would you say to, um, now, theoretically, what would you say to young Kathy or all of the young Kathys that are out there fighting and, and, and going through life and are going to have to face some of the same problems you did but uh, are now fighting today? What would you say to young Kathy? Well, I would say that you are worth fighting for. You are worthy of the fight. You have a, a place in this world. You have a right to, to justice. Your, your, your very being in this world um, gives you something. You are, you, are, you are gifted just by the fact that you have breath. Right? You're God's creation. You're God's child and you are loved. And, and you, need to, you need to honor your place. You need to be a good steward of your life. And you need to work so that others will also have the opportunity to be good stewards of their life. And again, you know, like my parents, it's not about being a this or a that. Right? I can tell you, my parents did not care what the title was. Right? And I don't much care about the titles. You know, I, I was delighted to finally figure out what I was supposed to be doing in my life. Because for a long time, I tried to not be a minister. Because back those days, it wasn't fashionable. Mm -hmm. But once I really knew what I was put on this earth to do, I was happy because it didn't matter what I had to go through. I was going to do it. And I would say to young Kathy or young anybody, you know, let your life speak. Let it speak to you. Let it tell you your purpose. And then when you discover it, you live into it. Come hell or high water. You, you be you. Because, you know, there's a scripture that says your gifts will make room for you. I believe that's true. You are entitled to it. You deserve it. And don't you let anybody take that from you. And now is the time. Now is, now is the time. It, it really feels like, you know, I, I always picture this chart in my head, and, and you kind of spoke to this earlier, of white people have consistently been able to grow and push forward. Yeah, they've had their struggles, but they've been able to pretty, pretty consistently push forward without much force against them. Whereas, yes, black people were freed at the Emancipation Proclamation, but then we had all of this force pushing us down, pushing us down. And I think what's happening now is the volcano is now erupting. And, and now is the time to, you know, live, don't be afraid to live into your blackness. That's something I've had to learn. It's just, just don't be, af you know, don't be afraid. It's, it's no longer, it's, it's, it's our time now to make blackness not be a demerit, to make it our thing and to make it what you want to be. Uh, and I think we can really do that now. I agree. And I, again, I, I, I think if we can continue to instill this, again, that's probably why I got so excited to see the children out there. You know, I, I've seen the, these clips on TV of the little black girl raising her little fist, you know, and, and just having some understanding 
of who she is. And, you know, we've talked about images of beauty in our culture, you know, hair, all skin color, skin tone, all of these things, voice, lips. But my goodness, if we can instill these things in our children from a very early age, and they can grow up into that unapologetically, right? It'll be a good thing because, you know, and I've lived long enough and I've pastored long enough that I know that for most of us, regardless of race or color or anything, life will challenge all of us in some way. Yes, certainly some of us have different challenges, but living in skin on the earth will bring a certain amount of stuff. That's just the way it is, you know? And I, I've not met very many people who've gotten out of this life without some challenge. Again, I go back to my faith, you know, what I believe, what I believe about myself, my place in the world, what I believe about God, what I believe about other people and their place. Right? Um, so I'm hopeful to be honest, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful um, because of, of us as a church, as a staff. Um, I'm hopeful about these conversations. We can do this. I believe it. I, I believe we, you know, good Lord, you know, in three weeks we've seen all of this change, mm. this recognition, Juneteenth. You know, gosh, people all over the country were having Friday off. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know, it's almost like it's a new phenomenon. It's not. No. And my prayer is that we don't stop. We don't stop. Don't let it die down. Right. And it's all of us. It's incumbent upon all of us to not let this thing die down. Um, you know, it's our time. It's our time and we can do it. We can do it. Is it going to be easy? No, but, you know, watching George Floyd die was not easy. Mm -hmm. Listening to the stories of my sons and their experiences is not easy. Mm -hmm. None of the things that, that we experience is easy. And this is not the only issue. There are lots of issues that need to be addressed. And I think... King was right, and justice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And so we need to be looking at those places where there are injustice. And for me, it's not about, you know, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't do it, all of those things, but like, how can we live into a better narrative for the world and those who will come after? You know, I looked at my little grandson seven months old and I, I really want a better world for him. I don't want him at 20 thinking he's going to disproportionately have a run-in with a police officer, right? That he's, his life is going to be threatened just because the color of his skin. I, I, I don't want that. And so that's, if I can help to make it better for him and for children, like him and those who will come after, I'm going to do that. That's what I want to do. Well, and I think, I think we can all do that, especially as the church, you know, it's, it is our job to get out there and fight and be Christians and lead the way in this. We can, I think you said this a while back, but we can really be out there leading, leading the force, but we have to do the work. And there are many ways to lead it, right? Some people will march. But I, I think we shouldn't underestimate the stuff we do every day. The people we see at work when we go back to work, right? You know, when decisions are made, how we vote, whether we vote, right? Uh, what are the issues? How can we change policy? How can we listen differently? Mm -hmm. How can we take a stand when we know something is not right? When someone is being treated unfairly, 
How do we speak up? It's, it's not okay to sit there and let it happen and then text somebody later, right? No. The moment calls for courage and we must have it. And so there are many ways. Um, and it's not just black and brown people. It's, it's the immigrant person also, right? It's, it's the person who's hungry. It's the person who sleeps on the street. You know, it's the person walking around with mental illness. There, there's so many issues that we can be dealing with. And you might feel like, well, I can't take on them all, right? But I can be thoughtful about the ones that come my way every day. And they do come. And some days we may not feel like we have the capacity, but at the very least, we ought to begin to be more conscious, more aware, more willing. Well, I think, I think COVID has definitely allowed us to do that. It's, it's stopped our loops, our kind of day-to-day -day grind and everybody's been able to go, oh, this is what's happening in the world. And, uh, Yes, like you said earlier, I, I hope that it doesn't die and I hope that we can continue this fight. Um, I want to thank you for being open and being willing to talk and, 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 and let it out. And hopefully we can have more of these conversations. Now, this is the last episode of Coffee with Kathy for this season. We'll come back in the fall. Um, and you've but, agreed to be my co-host. Yes, I'll be there. <laughs> I'll be there. Thank you. Thank you, Derek. Thank you for all you do and, and for all you do for us at the, at the church and for journeying with us here at Park Avenue. You know, we launch out on these experiences and we don't know, right? We sign on and we don't know. But for me, it's, it's, it's the everyday journey, right? It's not just Sunday morning. It's not just over here, even with social justice, right? It's not like this thing over there. It's everyday trying. And some days... We may fail, but we try again and keep trying. So God bless you and thank you. We did it. Yes, we did it. <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode of Coffee with Kathy. This podcast is brought to you by Park Avenue United Methodist Church. Follow us on social media at P-A-U-N-C-N-Y-C. You can also support our ministries by donating at paumcnyc.org slash give. We hope you've enjoyed this coffee with Kathy. Until next time. Yeah.